The following message was recorded live at Three Strands Church. We hope it will bless you, encourage you, and challenge you in your journey of faith. We'd love to pray for you or answer any questions you have. You can message us at threestrands.church slash contact. Good morning. We're glad you're here. Uh, when we first started this church, Dave, Stephanie, and I sat down, and one of the things we said is, listen, we need to take like four to six weeks and be intentional about missing church. And I was like, what? It's like, yeah, we don't want to burn out. We want to make sure that we can go the long haul and rest and rejuvenate, maybe go visit another church or just take some time. He never keeps that into the deal, okay? He misses one time a year, and this is it. He goes back home and sees his family once a year. So he's not here today. Um, but I always like to take, I should do this when he is here, um, but I always like to take this, this Sunday and just let us know how blessed we are to have the leadership that we have uh, at our church because we are truly blessed. I don't know how many churches you've been a part of, but I've been a part of a few, and we're truly blessed here to have the leadership we have with Dave and Stephanie and, and then their family, Sydney and Logan. We just really love them, and I don't know, I just don't you take that for granted, okay? It's very awesome what we have here, and so not just them, Brad. We got wonderful youth ministers here that are doing great things with the youth as well, okay? And not only that, but there's no doubt in my mind that if Dave and I were driving around and got killed in a car wreck, which could happen with his driving skills, okay? I think God could use Opie to lead this whole church. He's that uh, good as far as his leadership skills have become over the years, and we're very thankful for him as well. So, But we're here today for one reason, that's to lift up Jesus, and that's the reason I think God has blessed our church, because we, he's not just our Savior, but he's our Lord. And in the culture in which around us you're seeing, that's very seldom the case. Many people want Jesus to be their Savior, but they don't want Him to be their Lord, the boss of their lives. And this church, we've made a commitment, come hell or high water, Jesus is not only going to be Savior, but He's going to be Lord as well. And so I think God has honored that, and we're very thankful to have the church that we have. But if you're just joining us this morning, we're in part four of a five-part series called Uncertain Confidence, where we're looking at the world around us and maybe feeling a little shaky. Uh, what's going on? And just like the foundations are shaking around us. God, I'm a little scared, afraid. And he's going to tell us from his word, you don't have to be. You can be confident during these uncertain times. And so uh, week one, if you haven't heard any of these and want to go back and listen to the podcast, you're more than welcome to do that. We talked about being humble. Uh, week two, we talked about being authentic. Last week, if you were here, we talked about being persistent. And this week, the scriptures that we're going to look at talk about being certain because the best is yet to be. So that's where we're headed this morning. I heard about some construction workers who were working on this project on a college campus. And while digging, they uncovered an underground power line directly in their way there. And the foreman thought it was only, you know, an abandoned line, but to be safe, he asked the maintenance department to come over and to identify it. An electrician got there, and he looked at the cable, and he assured them that, hey, no, you're, no, no problem here, you're good, it's dead. Just go ahead and cut it out of your way, he said. Well, the foreman responded, he said, listen, are you sure there's no danger he said, I'm sure, I'm telling you, it's dead, you're good. And so the foreman handed the electrician the cutters and said, well then, will you cut the line for us? And he got a grin on his face and he goes, well, I'm not that sure, okay? I'm not that certain. My question for you this morning is this. How sure are you? How certain are you that you will go to heaven when your body dies? I mean, is that just a hope that you share to comfort other people? 
Or are you willing to put your life on it? You see, that question's important because in order for us to be confident, as we're talking about in the present times, we must have a realistic hope for the future. Let's say you're on an airplane that's hijacked by terrorists. And they arrogantly tell you, tell all the passengers that they're going to fly the plane into the White House in just a few hours. Now, I doubt if that were the case, you'd be, you know, asking the stewardess what time lunch is going to be served or, or watching the movie up on the screen for the next few hours, right? No, you would be obsessed with the impending doom. The, the trip would have no joy unless the pilot and Homeland Security regained control. For a, a plane flight to be enjoyable, there has to be an assurance of safe landing, right? The scriptures say in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, that's it, we are more to be pitied than anybody in the world. Look at 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is by His great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, we live with what? Great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that's kept in heaven for you. It's pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. You see, as Christians, we don't believe that heaven is just this nice thought to comfort us in the final stages of life. No, we believe that it's essential and a living hope. And so we live, as that scripture says there, with great expectation and with the assurance that we're going to land safely someday in a beautiful, exciting place. And that makes each day that we're alive more meaningful to us. And that's why Jesus said that I've come to give you life and life to the full more abundantly. And so today, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians verses, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. And in those 10 verses, Paul talks about this assurance that we have of going to heaven when we die. That's what he talks about there. And um, you think about the world I was talking about, the more uncertain that the present becomes, the more important that that future assurance is for us. And so each week, we've kind of had a theme verse, and today's theme verse is going to be verse 7 where it says this, for we live by believing and not by seeing. Okay? So let's look at those 10 verses, and I want you to notice three phrases this morning that should increase our confidence for living in uncertain times. So let's jump right in. The first one we're going to see is this. The first phrase is that we know. We know. We know that when life is over, there's a better life waiting for us Ahead, let's look at it from the scripture. 2 Corinthians 5, 1, it says this. For what? We know. We know that when this earthly tent that we live in is taken down, that is when, when we die and leave this earthly body, that we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. So we know that when this life is over, there's a better life waiting for us, the scriptures say. Now, Paul, who, whose occupation was a tent maker, he was a tent maker by trade, he compared our bodies to tents. And if you've ever been camping, you understand that a tent is just a temporary home. 
Now, you, you may enjoy camping every now and then, but you don't plan to live in it forever, right? We're just camping. It's uncomfortable, and it doesn't have all the amenities that our homes have. A tent is an insecure structure. It's, it's liable to collapse during a storm, or when a bear smells food inside there, it will definitely collapse. But our bodies are like tents, that they're very fragile, and they can very quickly be destroyed. 2 Corinthians 5.2 says this, that we grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on heavenly bodies like new clothing. You know, life has some wonderful moments, but generally speaking, the older we get, the fewer the joys and more numerous the burdens. And eventually, you begin thinking to yourself, you know what, I wouldn't mind getting out of this tent and going home. Paul says that the life God has in store for us in heaven is much better than what we're experiencing in this life. And I want you to look at the contrast of the, these first few verses. Look, look at the difference in the two. It, it says this, that, that life is, this life is earthly, the other one is heavenly. It says that this life is a tent, but the one to come is a house. This life is mortal, and it can be destroyed, but the one to come is eternal and indestructible. It says this life is full of burdens, but the one to come is full of glory. It says this life is marked by longing for more. We're always wanting more, but the one to come, it says, we will be fulfilled. There will be no more longing for more. And so Paul says that for Christians, when this tense destroyed, he says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, the mind ha can't even imagine what God has in store for those of us who love Jesus. That's what he says. I like the way the message puts those first two verses when it reads like this. It says, we know that when these bodies of ours are taken down like tents and folded away, they will be replaced by resurrection bodies in heaven, God-made, not handmade, and we'll never have to relocate our tents again. Sometimes we can hardly wait to move, and so we cry out in frustration. Compared to what's coming, I mean, living conditions around here seem like a stopover in an unfurnished shack, and we're tired of it. Glenn Wheeler is a retired preacher in Ohio, and he's 85 years old now, but Brad, he went to Johnson Bible College decades ago, believe it or not, your alma mater. But his wife, Evelyn, died several years ago, and in reminiscing about her, here's what he said. He said, what I miss about her, not the big things, but it's the little things. Like after church on Sunday morning, we, we'd turn out the lights in the building, and we'd lock, lock it up after everyone was gone, and then we would walk to the car, and she would slip her arm in mine, and she would whisper, you're a good man, Glenn Wheeler. And he said, I'd love to hear her say that just one more time. He said, I miss her cooking. After we'd eaten a delicious meal, she would come around behind me and, and pick up our plates, and she would say, keep your fork, Glenn. The best is yet to come. And he said, late at night, nowadays, when I'm lonely and I'm fighting back the tears, it's almost like I can hear the Lord saying to me, keep your fork, Glenn. The best is yet to come. Well, how do we know that? How do we know, how can we be certain that the best is truly yet to come? That there really is life after death. 
I mean, there's been a lot of speculation over the years about life beyond the grave. But the hope of the Christian, listen, it's not based on speculation of men, but it's, a dim, it's based on the demonstration of God. Jesus said in John 14, verse 1, don't let your hearts be troubled. No, trust in God and trust also in me. He said, there's more than enough room in my father's home. If this weren't so, I would tell you, right? If this weren't so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Do you believe that? We believe the resurrection of Jesus is the greatest event in human history. And there is good evidence to support that as fact. It's not just wishful thinking. We're promised that Jesus is the example of what's going to happen to us, and so we live by faith and not by sight. Verse 1, let me read it again. It says, for we know, we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven. Not might have, could have, maybe have. We will have. We will have an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. So that's the first phrase. We know. The second phrase we need to remember is found in verse 5, and it's this. We are guaranteed. We are guaranteed what's to come by the deposit of the Holy Spirit. Look at it in verse 5. It says that God himself has prepared us for this and as a what? guarantee that he has given us his Holy Spirit. And so the youth of our church, um, Opie was mentioned that earlier, they're leaving for camp on Tuesday. And in order to go to camp, they had to pay a deposit to guarantee their spot. And when they make that deposit, it's non-refundable. And so what that does, most of the time anyways, is that it guarantees that they will follow through with their commitment to go to camp and not to drop out. God has made a deposit of his spirit in us as a guarantee that, that he's going to make good on his promise that the best is yet to come. And that word deposit can be translated, it's similar to like an engagement ring. And so the church is oftentimes compared in the scriptures to the bride of Christ. That The church is engaged to Jesus and we are waiting on him to follow through with his promise. And let me encourage you, he's always faithful, and he won't leave us waiting at the altar. Paul wrote in Romans 8, 11, he said, The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit that's living within you. How do we know? How do we know if the Holy Spirit is living inside of us? Well, some people suggest you can know uh, by speaking in tongues. A lot of Pentecostal churches will teach that. But people in some pagan religions speak in tongues, so that can't be sure proof, right? So I want to give you just three questions that we can ask to determine if the Holy Spirit really is living on the inside of us. Okay? The first one is this. Have we put our trust in Jesus and obeyed his commands. Have you put your trust in Jesus and obeyed his commands? Acts 2, 38. Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins 
and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then what? You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Is that pretty clear? When we gave our life to Jesus and we were baptized, we were given the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Scriptures say. Now maybe when that happened to you, you felt ecstatic. And maybe when that happened to you, you didn't feel much at all. That may vary according to your background, according to our temperament, according to our age, our personality, our understanding. But listen, just as you're married, when you walk back down that aisle after a wedding ceremony, whether you felt married or not, you were married, okay? And so just like that, we were given the Holy Spirit at that moment, whether you felt it or not. God promises in the scriptures that Jesus is in you, the hope of glory, it says. So that's the first question. How else do we know? A second question we need to ask ourselves is this. Is the fruit of the Spirit growing in our lives? Jesus said this, that you will know them by their what? By their fruit. Well, what are you talking about? Well, the, the fruit of the Spirit in the Scriptures is listed as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. If those qualities are growing inside of us, that is evidence that the Holy Spirit's at work in our lives. But listen, if we are growing more self-centered, more sinful, and more argumentative as we grow older, that may be a sign that the Holy Spirit hasn't taken up residence in you and you need to be born again. But if the fruit of the Spirit is growing in our lives, then we have received God's guarantee of eternal life. His deposit is in you. The third question is this. Are we sensitive to spiritual stimuli? Look at 1 Corinthians 2, verses 12 and 14. Paul said, and we have received God's Spirit. Not, not the world's Spirit, but we've received God's Spirit so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. But people who are not spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. Sound a lot like the world we're living in? For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Guys, listen. If a person never wants to come to church, they have no desire to learn God's Word whatsoever. They always get bored with the preaching, even when it's good, okay? No desire to sing to God or praise God. No hunger for prayer. They hear about the prayer service afterwards. Oh, God, how can I get out of that? Definitely don't want any part of that, right? And they get turned off if anyone ever discusses any kind of spiritual truth with them. Then that's probably evidence that the Holy Spirit doesn't live within them. That's just the truth. But the flip side of that is true as well. If you are eager to learn Scripture... If you're hungry to worship God, your heart is touched when you hear other people's stories of redemption. Those are indications that you are alive to the things of God. Look at Romans 8, 16. It says, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we really are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs 
In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. And so we're guaranteed, we know, and the third phrase I want you to take home is this, is that we are confident. We are confident that when we die, we immediately go into God's presence. Look at verses 6 and 8, where it just tells us that. That we are always confident. Even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we're not home with the Lord. Yes, we are fully confident. And we would rather be away from these earthly bodies. For then, we will be at home with the Lord. Several years ago, uh, when we were living in our old subdivision, Maddox was playing on a treehouse in the neighbor's yard, in their backyard, when he fell on a nail, okay? And it sliced his leg up good. Uh, the neighbor come carrying him over, you know, and they were hollering, screaming, and I didn't know what was going on, but I looked at it, and it, it was pretty bad. And I've never really had stitches in my life before. Um, I say never really because mom told me I had one in my finger when I was a kid, but I don't remember that. But, so I, I wasn't real familiar with that experience. So I was trying to remain calm on the outside, but on the inside I was flipping out too because his leg was gashed open with meat hanging out. Okay, sorry, that's graphic, I know. But, um, and he was scared. But we got to the doctor's office, and the doctor you know, calmly explained to him what was about to happen, what he was about to do. And he said, listen, buddy, you're going to feel just a few little pinches. I put some medicine in there and numb it. And then you're not going to feel a thing while we stitch it up. You can watch it if you want to. You don't have to, but you won't feel a thing. And later on, you're just going to take some Tylenol. And a few weeks later, you'll be good to go back playing again on the treehouse with no nail. Okay? And so he just put him at ease. And he was good and just sat there and stitched him right up. So that information that was shared with him went a long way in eliminating his fear and giving him confidence in something that he had never experienced before. And to be honest, it, it calmed me down as well. Well, listen, none of us have experienced death. But the great physician who knows all things has given us some advanced information that will help eliminate our fears and will instill some confidence in us. I want you to look at, at what he says will happen when our bodies die. Okay, when our bodies finally die, what will happen? Well, the Bible tells us some things. The first one is this, is that there's a gradual deterioration of the body. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, uh, verse 16 says, Though outwardly, we're wasting away. True, right? I mean, sometimes this tent that you and I live in is destroyed immediately by some kind of accident or disaster. But usually the way it happens is it slowly deteriorates. It, it wastes away, as that verse says. And when you and I see our bodies aging, not functioning as well as they used to, it's just a gradual, gentle reminder from God that death is closer than it was yesterday and get ready to move out of this tent because it's not going to last forever. That's the truth. When uh, John Quincy Adams turned 80 years old, he was hobbling down this street in Boston. He's leaning heavily on his cane. And one of his friends asked him how he was doing. And he just smiled and he said, fine, sir, doing fine. He said, but this old tent that, that John Quincy lives in, it's not so good. He said, the underpinning is about to fall away. The thatch is all gone off the roof. And he said, the windows are so dim that John Quincy can hardly see out anymore. 
As a matter of fact, he said, it wouldn't surprise me if before winter's over, he'd have to move out. But as for John Quincy Adams, he's doing fine, sir, just fine. The deterioration of the body, it's not all that sad for Christians. I mean, God's just kind of beginning to fold up our tent, reminding us it's about time to move into a building, a, a, a building made eternal in the heavens, the Bible says. So after that comes the departure of our spirit, right? There's a gradual deterioration of the body and then the departure of our spirit. Verse 8 talks about being absent from our bodies. You know, the truth is there's a sense in which I don't really see you, okay? I just see your spirit. You don't really see me. You just see this body in which I live in. And I'm just looking at the body that your spirit resides in. There is a spirit in each of us that continues to be us. I was reading that um, cells in our bodies reproduce themselves at least every seven years. Every cell in the body dies within seven years, it said. And so really, there's nothing um, about us physically that's the same person we were even ten years ago. But we are still the same people Spirit living inside that body. And when our bodies finally die, our spirit leaves quietly, departing our body. But it doesn't cease to exist. I don't know if you ever have, but I've been with a few people in my life when they took their last breath. Their body was still there, but they were no longer responding to anybody. They were absent from the body, just like removing a hand from a glove. People my age were taught as children, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, what? I pray the Lord my soul to take, right? That's the image. The next thing that happens is this. Immediate presence with God. Look at it in verse 8. He says, yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. There's this unusual epitaph on a tombstone in Wetumpka, Alabama, that reads this. Okay, you can Google this. It's on there. It says this. Here lies Solomon Pease. Pease is not here, only the pod. Pease shelled out and went home to God. That's what it says. But you think about it, it's true, Right? I mean, it's just a body. It's just a pod. We've shelled out and went home to God at that, at that point. And you think about it, there's only two stages really for the Christian. Just two. We're either in the body or we're out of the body. We're, we're either absent from the Lord or present with the Lord. The Bible, listen, doesn't teach reincarnation. The Bible doesn't teach pur purgatory. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be in the immediate presence with the Lord. Jesus told about a man named Lazarus who died, and immediately he was in Abraham's bosom. The rich man died, and immediately he was in hell. Jesus said, remember to the thief on the cross what he told him? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Dr. Herschel Hobbes is a well-known Baptist preacher who tried to comfort his wife as she lay dying of cancer. And she asked him what it would be like when she died. 
And he said all of his theological and pastoral training never prepared him to answer such a deep and personal question. So he said, here's what I told her. He said, honey, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what that moment will be like. I'm not sure. He said, but I do know this for sure. I'm going to sit here and hold your hand on this side of heaven until Jesus comes and he takes your hand on the other side. King David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. The next thing is this. Then you and I are going to be given a a glorified, resurrected body at the second coming. Verse 3, it says, For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies, it says. Listen, we're not going to be spending eternity floating around in space like spirits without a body. We're, We're not going to be ghosts. Neither will we be angels, as so many social media posts suggest, When a loved one dies. You read that a lot, right? So-and-so gained their wings. That's not in the Bible, okay? We're not gaining our wings. But when our bodies die, our spirits depart from our body, and we are immediately in the presence of Jesus, and we get new bodies. That's good news. No more wrinkles. No more pain. No more being tired all the time. No hair loss. We got the runway up here and the piece of Jewish baloney on the top up here. It's awful, okay? None of that. And you think about it, Jesus himself was the example in this process that we're talking about. When Jesus died, he said, what? Father, into your hands I commit my what? My spirit. He gave up his spirit and his body was buried. And then three days later, the spirit of Jesus re-inhabited that same body and it was resurrected. And then he, he said to his disciples, he said, hey guys, listen, don't be afraid. Touch me and see, right? A ghost doesn't have flesh and bone as you see that I have. And the next thing is this. The judgment of our works. Verses 9 and 10 tell us, so that whether we are here in this body or whether we're away from this body, our goal is to please him. For listen, we must all stand before Christ to be judged. All of us, you and I must stand before Christ to be judged. The woman who's saying, my uterus is greater than your God, will stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil that we have done in this earthly body. But let me put some of you at ease. The word for judgment seat comes from the Greek word bima, which was the platform in Greek towns where decisions were handed down by rulers. But it was also a place where the awards were given out to the winners at the annual Olympic Games. Okay, that's where that word comes from. And so this judgment seat that we're talking about here seems to be different than the great white throne from which Jesus will judge those who've rejected him in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, if you've read that. And listen, since the death of Jesus forgives all of our sins, don't forget that, this judgment seat of Jesus, listen, it will be an award ceremony for Christians. You're not going to be judged whether you're going to heaven or hell, guys. You're already in. Isn't that encouraging? 
That's why it says we make it our goal to please him. Listen, not so we can earn salvation, but to receive honor for service and hear, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. So look at verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 3. It says this, But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone who barely escaping through a wall of flames. You know, at a graduation ceremony, everyone graduates, don't they? But there are some who receive special recognition for extra accomplishments. And when judgment day comes, all who are in Jesus will be saved. But there will be some special rewards handed out to those whose service has been deserving. That's what it says. Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man will come with His angels in the glory of His Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. Last thing is this. Then we have perfection in heaven. Perfection in heaven. It says we'll be given this, this building from God, our eternal house in heaven. And, you know, the Scriptures don't give us a lot of detail about heaven, you know, streets of gold and gates of pearl and walls of jasper. But we do know there will be no more tears, no pain, no sadness. I don't know why that is. You know, maybe if we were given too much information, we would be too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good, as the old saying goes. But I heard about a boy who was playing with his pet turtle when all of a sudden that turtle turned blue and it fell over on its back and it was laying there motionless boy started crying and he ran to his dad and his dad looked at it and he kind of sized up the situation and and he put the pet turtle in a little box and he began to tell his son about turtle heaven how wonderful that heaven will be where dead turtles go and then he promised his son Hey, we're going to have this memorial service for your pet turtle. Uh, I want you to go out and I want you to invite your friends over. We'll have cake. We'll have ice cream. I mean, you can play games. You can have a big party. And the boy brightened up all of a sudden. And then his dad said, listen, let's go outside and see if we can find a place to bury this turtle. But then, guess what? They opened up that box, and that turtle was alive, standing there on all fours as if nothing happened, just walking around. And with this strange look on his face, the little boy looked up at his dad and he said, Dad, can we kill it? (laughs) Well, other than telling us that heaven's going to be way better than this life, we're not given a lot of information about it. Maybe if we knew too much, we may lose our motivation for living here. I don't know. But the scriptures say we walk by faith and not by sight. And Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for, for it is evidence of things that we cannot see. So let me just wrap it up and, and say this. Listen, as Christians, we can live confidently each day, not afraid of death. Why? Because Jesus has conquered our last enemy for us, and the best really is yet to be. 
And we also learn today that we know that if this earthly tent that we live in is destroyed, that we have a building of God, it says, eternal in the heavens. And we also learn that we're guaranteed what's to, the, what's to come by the deposit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we're confident that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. King Gary said this, death. He said it's the most misunderstood part of life. It's not a great sleep, but a great awakening. He said it's that moment when we wake up and we rub our eyes and at last we see things the way that God has seen them all along the whole time. But listen to me, that promise is only available through Jesus. That's it. There's only one way to heaven. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to heaven except through me. Guys, he's the only way. If you want his forgiveness, if you want his promise, if you want his assurance, why not surrender your life to him today? Just do it today. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for the person who may be sitting there worried, concerned that if today's the day they, their spirit's going to leave their body, that they may not end up with you. Father, would you encourage them that they can settle that right here and right now? That all they have to do is cry out to you and say, God, I want to do life with you. I want you to save me and to be my Lord, and, and I want to follow you. That what you say, I'll follow. That I trust in your son, Jesus, that his payment on the cross is, is enough to pay for my sin. And I want to begin a relationship with you today. Father, would you nudge some people to make that decision today? There's nothing better than doing life with you. Thank you for Jesus, because it's the only hope we have, and you're more than we need. You're, you're, you're more than enough. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. What an amazing challenge from God's Word for all of us. We hope you start putting everything you've learned in this session into practice. Be sure to subscribe to the 3SC Podcast so you'll never miss any new content. Thanks for listening.